Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. And uh, we'll, uh, we're going to continue. We're going to uh, go back up into verse 11 here and uh, work our way down and then introduce some stuff in verse 14, 15, and 16. We are still in the introduction to the book. Uh, I believe this is lesson 16. So we're, we're, the book is starting well. It's starting good. As Paul begins to talk here, verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles." And that issue here, um, as we begin, uh, again, we looked last week at verse 11 and 12, the edification process, the way that Romans is laid out, so that at the end, when you come over to chapter 16 of Romans, he, he comes to draw the book to a conclusion, Romans 16 and verse 25, where he then says, Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, verse 26, and by the scriptures of the prophets. And those, that issue of by, when we get to the end of the book of Romans, the foundational doctrine is set in. Now, it doesn't, Paul, when we get over into 16, we're going to see, and I'll show you, where Paul says, don't stop here, keep going. Because there's another 12 epistles that he writes, so keep moving, keep moving forward. Don't go backwards. So when he talks here about being established, we're going to set everything in, those four pillars, the, the, that, the, the pillar of justification, chapter 1 to 5, the pillar of the grace walk and sanctifi sanctification, our identification in 6, 7, and 8. The fact in chapter 9, 10, and 11 that we are not Israel. We don't belong to Israel. We don't belong to her program. Here's what's happening with them. And by the way, they need to get saved by Paul's gospel. They're in the same boat as you and I are. And then in that last section, 12 to 16, he lays in that, okay, now here's how you're going to take those 11 chapters of doctrine and put them to work. Now come back to chapter 1 of Romans, because there's some other things going on here in these verses than just being able to say that we'd have a mutual faith, both of you were on the same page. And so forth. By the way, verse 11 and 12 is the purpose of the book. Why do we have the book of Romans? We can get you established. And we're going to establish the edification process. But notice how Paul says, For I long to see you. That longing. There's an aspect here that Paul was very anxious to get to the, to the folks, the saints at Rome. Now, Paul has that longing for, for a lot of folks, but he, here, he, there's something else going on in the passage a, a, a little deeper than that initial look at going, oh, okay, we're just going to get the establishment doctrine. I long to see you. Verse 10, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Then in verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, 
that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. Now, when we started this section a couple weeks ago, I chose, I, we went and we looked. Come over to Acts 20. We went and we ran down through the Acts events of, of Satan hindering Paul and the satanic policy of evil moving instantly from the little flock and the believing remnant to the Apostle Paul and the church, the body of Christ. Satan knows where God's dealing today. He's not dealing in Israel. He's dealing with the body. So that's where we're going to go. Satan's no dummy. You know who the dummies are? We are. Because we think God's still dealing with Israel and Israel's program, and he isn't doing that. He's doing this. Satan's got it. That, that in Acts, <laughs> he deals with, that, with the, 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 the demon and the... The devil looks over there, the demon looks over and says, Jesus and Paul I know, but who are you? Talking about to the sorcerer and so forth. Then the demons know what's going on. The satanic policy of evil are very aware of what God's doing today. Whether you agree with it or not, that's on you. Paul understands that. He longs to see them. I long to see you. I want to get there to you. Okay, I'm giving you the information that's going to equip you and establish you, but there's, some, there's another burning reason why Paul is going there. Look at Acts 20. Uh, he calls the elders of Ephesus over for a, 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 a goodbye meeting. And in verse 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Paul understands that at the door are the wolves. At the door is the adversary. And if you let your guard down, what's he going to do? Come on in. It's interesting if you watch, if you know anything about nature, nature is brutal. The wild kingdom is wild. Okay, I don't, I know the activists and all don't think that, but they are. Where do they usually go? Where does a, a wolf come in? Where does he go? Does he go to the head bull? Or does he look for the baby calf? Right? Looks for that baby, doesn't he? Now think about this spiritually. Come back to Romans 1. Where does the adversary go? Does he come up to the mature believer and duke it out? Or does he go after the babe? He goes after the babe, doesn't he? The baby in Christ. The one struggling, the one immature. So when Paul says, I long to see you guys, he, it's not a, he, he does want to see them and meet them, but it's more to help them. I told you Romans 1, come back over to Romans 16. He, 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 wants, he wants to come along and to make sure that they are spiritually equipped to handle the attack. And in, and in Romans 1, we're just getting the foundation laid. 
we're not mature saints at this point in the spiritual growth in the epistles. He comes in and he says, hey guys, I want to come down there and see you. One, to have the fellowship and the good time with you, but also to make sure that you're, you're equipped. To make sure you're growing. Romans 16, if you look at verse 17, Paul says this, Now I beseech you, brethren. It says that at the end of the book, he has laid in the edification process. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have, notice, learned. There's a learning process here. You're going to mark them. You're going to avoid them and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's some nice people out there in Christendom. Great people, good people. But what does the Bible say about them right there? They ain't serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That is harsh. In this day and age of limp-wristed and PC stuff, you can't say that to people. Sorry, you just can't. But the book did. You, you ever wonder why people hate the Bible? It's stuff like this. That's why they don't like the Bible. That's why they don't like you and I that preach the Bible and stand for the Bible. Why? Because what does that verse say? You're going to mark them and avoid them that are contrary to the doctrine that you've learned, that I've given to you, I've established the establishment here for you, the edification process, and oh, by the way, they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Self-willed, self-driven. You know, when you're hungry enough, you're going to do whatever you need to do to do what? <laughs> Get something to eat. So you're driven by your flesh and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience has come abroad unto all men I am glad therefore on your behalf but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil Paul notice I would I long to come and see you we have a mutual faith. We speak the same thing. We're on the same page. You're getting established. The adversary's at the door. That wonderful word apostasy is right there. And I would that you guys would be wise unto that which is good. What would be good? The doctrine, right? Simple concerning evil. Not too much in the evil. Simple. I, you, you don't have to experience that. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Here in Romans, we've had a good start. We've had a good beginning. We're getting rolling. We're moving. We're laying in. And he throws up a little bit of a warning sign of, hey, I know we're all feeling good. We're all having a good time. But, you know, I, I think about that lost in space. Warning, real wadger. Warning, real wadger. Danger, danger you got to pay attention, you know, because we, we're having a good time, we're learning, we're growing, and the adversary just slips right in. And instead of standing, you know, the old saying, you need to stand for something or you'll stand for nothing, 
Something like that? Or you'll fall for anything. Thank you. I knew somebody would have it. Okay? It went through my brain so fast. <laughs> okay? That's it. Hey, you, we're standing. We're here. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're doing. We're moving. We're growing. But we got to be careful because who's outside that door? The adversary. And when he comes in, a wolf in sheep's clothing, he isn't going to walk up to the grown-ups and say, Hey, how you doing? And he's going to go right over there to that weaker brother, that babe in Christ. He's going to go right over there and say, Hey, have you ever considered this? And the next thing you know, you're gone. Because you're, you considered something that was not Pauline distinctive ministry or message. 1 Thessalonians 3, the apostle Paul here, he's having, he was left at Athens. There's a whole persecution. We looked at this stuff a couple weeks ago in the Acts events when we walked down through them. Verse 5, he says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your, what? He didn't want to know, do you have a bruise? Did you break your arm? Did you get a black eye? Did they throw you in jail? He wanted to know about their faith, didn't he? They've suffered tribulation. They're under afflictions, verse 3 and 4. I sent to know your faith, verse 5, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Boy, the Galatians ought to come to mind. He says, I travailed over you like a... Mom and birth, and it was a waste of my time. And I ain't wasting my time anymore with you. He's talking to the Galatians. You know, people say, oh, Rick, you got to bend over backwards. No, you don't. Paul says, redeem the days, the time. You gotta, you only, we have a short period of time right now. You've got to redeem that. You've got to have the spiritual maturity to look at something and say, that's a waste of my time. Give them the information, but then move on. Because what happens? Hey, let's get together. Can we have a talk? Sure. I'll talk to anybody. I'll answer any question. But eventually there's a time to say what? Enough. And you have to move on. Hurts you, breaks your heart, hits you, sure. But you have to move on. Otherwise, you're going to be still I, <laughs> digging that. I did this years ago. We had just started the PayPal, the PayPal, the Pal Talk ministry, okay, on the computer. It was new, up and new, and it was the newest thing. And the guys were doing, we were, everybody had a day in the week, and we did a half-hour Bible or an hour Bible study. And I got, in, I got hooked in by a, a Calvinist, a five-pointer, heavy-duty, boom. And we started emailing. He wasted my time for two and a half years. I'd say, hey, but the verse says this. He says, yeah, but over here it says that. Yeah, but the, that's not the definition of election or predestination in Scripture. He goes, yeah, and then he would just shift a little bit. And now it's like, you know, boom. I, it took me two and I'm a little thick-headed. It took me two and a half years to realize what was going on. And you know what happens now when I hear that and people bring that up? Five minutes, we're done talking about it. I learned. I went through that. There's nothing wrong with getting in the battle. It's just knowing when to retreat and say, okay, you're not going to win this. Who's going to fix those guys, by the way? The Lord Jesus Christ will. Okay? Verse 5. 
Notice the end of that verse, lest by some means the tempter have... T- what does Paul know? The adversary's at the door. That's what he's after. Verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face. What is he? He's longing to see him. He's anxious to get back to him. This is Thessalonica. He's already been there once. He got run out of town. He wants to go back. Why? That we might see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Notice why Paul wants to get back with them. He wants to get back with them because there's a component of their faith that's lacking, that's deficient. And he wants to get in there and help them no longer be deficient and be solid. Okay? So the question is, is all right, well, what was lacking in their faith? Well, what is the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians all about? 1 Thessalonians, every chapter talks about the rapture event, the event we call the rapture. That's our hope, isn't it? You see, the satanic policy of evil, the tempter at the door, had caused that church at Thessalonica to begin to question their hope. So much so that he has to spend Two chapters in 2 Thessalonians to remind them that they are not a part of the prophetic program. That they are not a part of Israel's kingdom program. That's how impactful, that's how subtle it was. Here's the great church at Thessalonica, sounding out the word, doing the work of the ministry, and yet the adversary, the tempter, had come in and done what? Stirred it all up. So he's got to go in and remind them about their hope. So when you come back to chapter 1 of Romans, when he says, I long to see you, I've been trying to get to you, I just can't, the, the, Satan's hindered me. I, I, on your way back to Romans 1, stop in chapter 15 of Romans. So you understand where that comes from. Romans 15. <clears throat> And, uh, well, verse 22, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. It's not the verse I was looking for. I think it was back there in 1 Thessalonians 4, okay, where Satan hinders him, had hindered him. Come on over to chapter 1. Let's, we'll move on. So when Paul is talking here, he's looking at... The role, and, and you think about where we're at in the epistles, we're at the baby level, <laughs> the babes in Christ. And when the adversary comes in, they'll get chewed up and spit out because they don't know. They don't have enough doctrinal fortification and, and fortitude to defend that, attack that onslaught. So what does Paul do? He can't go see him, so what's he do? Paul, write a book. Paul, write it down. Paul, this is God. Write it. <laughs> I don't have what did he do? He wrote him a book. Because what did Paul know? That the written word of God, the epistles, would do what? Get the job done. Over there in 1 Thessalonians 2:13, the word of God effectually worketh in you. That what? That believe? 
hey, I can write a book. You go read 2 Corinthians. He tells them, listen, I wrote you guys an epistle. It did the job. You guys went to godly sorrow. You went from being obstinate and, and stupid and full of the flesh and pride to having some godly sorrow. And I did it, and I didn't do it myself. I wrote you an epistle, and it did it, its work. So he knows. He can't see them. He's not going to get there. So he wrote them a book. And the purpose is in chapter 1 here, verse 11 and 12. The purpose of the book was to get them some edification in them, to get them to understand the edification process, to get them to move along the, the, the life of moving from a babe to an adult, spiritually speaking. Again, they have, are you in chapter 1? I hope. <laughs> Just stick something in 1, okay? Look back up there at verse 8. Think about these guys. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The, church at, the churches there at Rome, they had a great reputation. People knew them. They knew about them. They had heard about it. And Paul says, that's wonderful, but I need to expand that on you. I need to, I want to come along and I want you to understand. I want to enlarge your faith. I want to grow you up by understanding the edification process. Okay? So then he says, verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant. Brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul was hindered. The satanic policy of evil, the number one resistance to the message given to the Apostle Paul, okay, the number one resistance area is the religious system. What is our number one resistance area? Religious system. The Jews would come up and they would go get lewd men of the baser sorts to go after him. That didn't work. So then the Jews would go over here to the city and get out a bond against them to shut them down. They're, they're violating zoning policies. There are congreg too many people in that building down there. Just, that didn't work, by the way, did it? But it hindered them. But he was also hindered by the care of the churches daily. He would see something pop up. He would stop what he's doing ministry-wise and go and help deal with that. He wrote the Corinthians four times, at least. That took some time. I got an email from a gentleman here. I, I got it this morning because I looked in the, the right email box. <laughs> and it's a page and a half. It's going to take me three hours to answer it. You know what that does? It slows things down, doesn't it? Hinders stuff down. That's okay. It's a legitimate question, so we will do it. But so Paul... Yes, he was hindered by the satanic policy of evil, but he was also hindered by doing the work of the ministry, okay? 
in the Acts period there, we went through those, all those events a couple weeks ago, where at every turn, there's the religious system poking its head up, going, nope, not here, and going after him. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant. Notice, brethren is set off by commas. So, the ignorant brethren statements, the largest denomination in the world, is ignorant brethren. <laughs> it's a joke. It's okay, folks, you can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> but that's what he's going to do. Six times, Paul uses this term, ignorant brethren. Each of the six times lay out some very specific doctrines that we need to be very, or well, very aware of, okay? But also, at every six times when he lays these out, we're going to go look at them, okay? He gives you now the tactic of the adversary and why they're ignorant and why God does not want you to be ignorant in these specific areas. You follow that? The first one is right here in verse 13. God doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning who? Paul. And the message and the ministry given to the Apostle Paul. Notice the verse. That I might have some what? Fruit among you also, even among other fruit among he's always he he paul was given the ministry and the message so what does satan do well he, he's doing it today hadn't changed he comes along and come, has, he, satan has a vested interest in hindering the apostleship and the distinctive ministry and message of the apostle paul he has a vest because if he can cause you to move away from Paul and go back to the 12, what has he done? He's accomplished the attack, hasn't he? So now, if, if, he can, if he can come along and cause you to move away from who you are in Christ, by the way, you learned that from who? Paul. And to come over here and be something you're not, he's done what to you? He's gotten you out of the battle. You're, you're now over in triage. You're over in the medical hospital. Okay? So the first attack, by the way, should, we should know everything about the Apostle Paul. Everything. One of the better books out there about Paul, it's a real simple one by, by Pastor Stam, Paul and His Apostleship and so. It's a very good book. It's good. Okay? There are other books out there like that, but I know we have one of those back there. If we don't, you let me know and I'll get you my copy. Okay? But see, the thing is, is the preventing, the hindering of the, of, of the, of, of apostle, of the apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 1, remember what he says over there? All those in Asia have left who? He says, me. Think, I, I think about 2 Timothy 4, Paul is standing and he says, no man stood with me, but who? But the Lord. <laughs> so he won the day, because the Lord was there. But he said, no man, they all forsook me. Could you imagine Paul 
I, I think about Paul all the time. Here, here he is. He's stopped on the road to Damascus, given this information, comes to more revelations and more over time. Over 30, 40 years, sees the rise of the message of grace and the church, the body of Christ, and then immediately sees it go right in the, in the can. Talking about a roller coaster. Up to down. Then he looks over at Timothy and he says, oh, hey, by the way, Timothy, I've finished my course with joy. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. It's your turn now. See ya. I'm out of here. Remember when we studied 1st, 2nd Timothy? That issue of here's what church history looks like after Paul leaves. The church is in apostasy. Why? Because they left Paul. He says, don't be, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The first attack, the first tactic is to get you to not follow Paul. Because if I can do that, Satan can do that, then what's going to happen? The rest of it will, is going to be easy, easy, easy. So come over to chapter 11 of Romans. Here's the second one. Romans 11, verse 25. If I can get you not to follow Paul, then guess what I can also get you to do? The tactic, the attack. Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. If I can get you to not follow Paul, then I can get you to make yourself spiritual Israel. And I can get you to fall into the trap of saying that I'm Israel and I get all the blessings of Israel and God dumped all the curses on that other nation over there when he cast them aside and put them away and I'm living in the blessings. And I'm over here. And how did you get there? You left Paul, see. By the way, 1125, you know what God's saying? I don't want you to be ignorant that you're not Israel. You are the church, the body of Christ. Boy, look at what's going around the church today at large. Who do they think they are? Spiritual Israel. Well, Rick, you know, that's not a literal kingdom. It's the kingdom in the hearts of men. I choke. I gag. It's like, oh, come on. Why? What does that verse say? God said, I set those guys aside. I cast them away. I'm doing something else over here. I'll get back to them, verse 26. But right now, you don't, I don't want you to be ignorant of what's going, what I'm doing, God's saying. So, come on over to 1 Corinthians 10. Here's the third one. You got you with me? We're going a little quicker. We can be done early today. Wow. Who knew? <laughs> Fat chance, right? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10. Sorry. Number 3. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant 
how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And you take that, ver- that all the way down into, through verse 15 right in there. You kind of scratch your head. What's Paul doing? Paul starts there in verse 6 and brings in this issue here of, of, of uh, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Wait a minute. What are we talking about this lusting thing? What, why are now all of a sudden in verse 7 and 8 and 9, he's bringing all this stuff up out of the Old Testament that Israel did? What's going on here? Well, Paul's painting a picture of apostasy that took place in the nation of Israel. But do you notice who Paul brought up in verse 2? Who did he resurrect in verse 2? Moses. And what Paul's doing to the Corinthians, I mean, think about the Corinthians. Car- this is, they're carnal. They're babes. They're living in the lust of their flesh. And Paul brings in this illustration of, hey, what, you, what, what you're doing to me is the same thing Israel did to Moses. Rejecting the truth. Israel took the short-term physical delights of the moment and rejected the spiritual long-term need that they needed. They lived in the moment. You know what? The Corinthians do the same thing, by the way. And Paul says, you know what, Corinth? You know what? church, the body of Christ as a whole, the same thing will happen to you if you don't follow my ministry and my message and the, and the doctrines that are getting, you know what will happen? You're going to fall into apostasy, you're going to move away, and you're going to do that because you rejected me. Did Israel really respect Moses? Not at all. Not at all. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's getting the top ten commandments. They go to Aaron and say, he's forsaken us. He's left us. We need you to step into his place. And Aaron goes, really? Kind of cool. All right, let's go. And he does. They look at Moses in the dire need when they need to be fed physically. You've, you've drug us out here to die of thirst and hunger. Oh, we had it great back in the flesh pots of Egypt. They had no respect for what Moses was doing. Now, there's a believing remnant in that that do, okay? I'm talking about as a whole. Does the church as a whole respect Paul? Not at all. Not the ones I listen to and, and talk to. Most of them don't even know who he is, Honestly. There's a tactic here that, hey, if, I, if Satan says, if I can put the course of the world and the lust of your flesh in front of you long enough, and you're not grounded in who you are in Christ and following Pauline distinctive ministry, I got gotcha. you. And you know what Paul says? I don't want you to be ignorant of that. I want you to pay attention. I want you to stay the course. I want you to be where you're supposed to be. I want you to be rooted and grounded Colossians 2.7. I want you to be where you're supposed to be. Now come over to chapter 12, because here's the fifth one. Chapter 12, verse 1. 
You, you, you see what's going on? There, by the way, we, we're not getting into the doctrinal side of all of these. I'm trying to show you the tactic because in Romans, he's bringing it up. One, there's some issues that he's already dealt with in the beginning where he's defending his apostleship, setting it forth. But two, there's a tactic here. We all want to know how Satan attacks us. Here's six of them. Colossians 2 gives you four more. You know, you read over there in Ephesians 6 about the little fiery darts coming at you and use the armor to defeat and win the day. Here's some of those darts he's pumping at you. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Uh-oh. Now we're going to talk about the big bad boy in the room, the spiritual gifts. Three chapters he talks about these guys. But he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of concerning what? The spiritual gifts. What's the idea today about spiritual gifts? God is what? Still doing them, isn't he? Still working over here and rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub, off we go. Still doing it. You know what God says? I ain't doing it. You know what God says? I am not doing that anymore. You, look over at chapter, you're in chapter 12. Look down at verse 31. What a fantastic verse 31 is. But covet earnestly the best gifts. By the way, who gave the gifts? The Holy Spirit does. A gift, if it's a gift, then you do not seek it. If you're seeking a gift, it ain't a gift. It, it's, a gift is something that you do not seek. A couple Sundays ago, I received a wonderful gift. Wasn't looking for it, came out of blue, and I thoroughly enjoy it. It was a nice piece of weaponry. Got to shoot it last week for the first time. It was wonderful. Okay? And, but in, in there, too, was a bag of other things. That, I wasn't looking for it. It just, it was a gift. When, you, when you're looking for a gift, when you're, then it's not a gift. Say, you follow? That, to me, I, okay, all right. Look at verse 31. But covet, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a, what? More excellent way. The gifts are good. They have their purpose. But I got something better coming your way, a more excellent way. And what is chapter 13? Starts about with this illustration of charity, doesn't it? But yet at the end of 13, what do we learn in verse 13? And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Charity. What did we just learn in verse 8? The gifts are going to stop, and the written word of God's going to take over and do. Chapter 14. Verse 3, but he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, to exhortation, and comfort. Those three things the gifts were designed to do. Guess what does those today? The written word of God does that today. A more excellent way. Anyway, you guys think, all right, I'm going to hold you now. We're, okay. Listen, folks, the tactic, what is Satan trying to do? If I can get you on thinking about speaking in tongues, okay, which, by the way, wasn't the most excellent gift. 
but it's the gift that the church at Corinth had elevated because when you speak in tongues, what do you do? Everybody's looking at you. I talked to a guy one time who came out of the charismatic speaking in tongue movement, and he was in it. And he came to understand that what he was doing was fake, wasn't real. Because he didn't know how to speak in tongue, yet he heard someone over here speaking and someone over here speaking. And then they looked at him and said, well, you got a word? And he put those two together. And they're like, man, we never heard that language before. Neither had he. You know? He'd come to hear the radio program and so forth when we had that on, and uh, he subsequently had to move back east, but still. <laughs> He's like, right division did what? It cleared all that mess up. Why? Because God, I'm not doing that anymore. But what does Satan want you to do? I think he is. Keep on moving. All right, 2 Corinthians 1. Here's number 5. 2 Corinthians 1. And I'm taking the time to do this. I could have just read them and we could have kept going. Because I want you to see when Paul says, I long, I, there's an anxious to see the believers. Because the attack is on, the adversary is at the door. 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. This one was an interesting one for me. What in the world does he want, talking about trouble and dying and all, why does it, what's the ignorance here? Well, hold on to here, look over at Philippians 1. By, by the way, when you, can't, when you struggle with the verse, go find another verse, okay, that'll help you with it. The issue here about him, I don't want you to be ignorant about our trouble, okay? It's Acts 19, Acts 20 events. Is the issue of I don't want you to be ignorant that you are going to suffer. Okay? I don't want you to be ignorant, Philippians 1, verse 29. For unto you it is, what? Given. Philippians 1, 29. In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Notice it has been given to you. This, by the way, this is a gift. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> it's a gift given to do what? To suffer. So when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about our trouble, I don't want you to think that life's going to be easy just because you're in Christ, because it's not. It's, he's not delivering you from the present distress. What, so you got a choice, don't you? I actually got two choices. First, this isn't one of the choice. First, you got to know you're going to suffer. It's, on the, it's given to you on behalf of. <laughs> you're going to suffer. So you got a choice in the matter. One, you can do, go back to 2 Corinthians 1. I'm sorry. 
One, you can blame yourself. Blame God. You can be defeated. You can look at it and say, Woe is me. God's trying to teach me a nasty lesson here, so he put a flat tire on the car and blah, blah, blah. No. Okay. You know, Rick, I need to get you off that motorcycle, so I'm going to cause you to run into the car. Really? Okay. You could have just told me to sell it, and it would have been easier. <laughs> Wouldn't have hurt, <laughs> you know, right? Okay, Lord, what, what's, what am I learning today in this episode? No. Or you can really do what needs to be done, which is what 2 Corinthians 1 is trying to get across to you, and that is to the suffering. It's given to me. Accept it as an opportunity to grow and mature. As an opportunity to access the grace that we have and who we are in Christ and in the Father. Do what chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians 17 and 18, 16, 17 and 18 would have you to do. Be renewed in your mind. Renew the inner man day by day, right? The outward man is going to do what? Perish. It's a given. It's a fact. Jack, take it to the bank. For our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment, does what? Worketh for us. Do you realize that the affliction, the trouble in the moment will not work for you? If you I'm in 2 Corinthians 4. 17. The affliction in the moment will not work for you if you don't do verse 18, which is a walk of faith. It won't. You adjust your mindset, your thinking process about the situation. And a walk of faith is going to say, you know what, it's but for a moment. i got a far more weight of glory out there. Romans 8, 18. The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. I can look at that trouble, go back to chapter 1 now. And I can look over there and I can cry what Paul cries in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And I can go look to Paul and see how did Paul handle the trouble and the suffering in his life. Because, by the way, it is, it, it is ten times worse than any of us in this room have ever seen. When you've got people laying in wait to take your neck, to take your life, you go read sec, uh, chapter 11 over there, the list of things he went through. You and I have not even seen one item in that list in our life in this country. You think about over in that pastor in uh, Iraq and stuff that was in prison, the Christian pastor and stuff, you know. I've read that man's testimony. He's saved as saved can be as you and I are. And you know what kind of gospel he preaches? Paul's my gospel. Now, that's it. He don't know anything else. But he preaches Christ crucified. And you know what they did to him? They threw him in jail and they beat him near to death. Oh, my back hurts today. Have a perspective about it. You, but you know what Satan wants you to do? Waller in your mire. The pig back to the mud. 
Because then what are you not doing? You're not walking by faith, I'll be honest with you. You're walking by the circumstance. You follow that? This one's a big one. Then the last one, number six, is 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. <clears throat> because this one, <laughs> it's interesting. I, I don't know if you've ever studied Paul's epistles in the order that they were written and see the theme of those books. The first book written is Galatians, okay? Second one closely is 1 Thessalonians, all right? What is the theme of Galatians? They're mixing what? What do most believers do? First thing out of the gate, what do they do? Mix law and grace. Isn't that interesting? The second theme is 1 Thessalonians, and that's about our rapture, our hope. And what do most believers do with that? We've got to, go, we've got to make it to the kingdom, endure to the end over there. See, you just, it's amazing how the order in which he wrote them is an order in which most believers begin to walk. Anyway, you, you spend some time on that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I don't want you to be ignorant about our resurrection, about, our, about the event that concludes the dispensation of grace. Well, if you don't recognize the distinctive message and ministry of the Apostle Paul, if you don't recognize the distinct mystery resurrection of the body of Christ, you'll be led to think that you and I are going to go through that 70th week of Daniel over there. And in the middle of that week, we'll get caught up and taken out. You'll get led to think that you're a part of Israel's prophetic program. God says, eh. I don't want you to be ignorant about it. I want you to know what's going on. So he gives the details so that you'll know. By the way, if you think that you're going to go into the tribulation, if you think you're going to be part of Israel's program, you know what you have? No hope. Because you're a Gentile. And those verses begin to come really real. Now, before you think, come over to Ephesians with me. Before you think, oh, Rick, none of this will ever happen to me. I will warn you, I know of, of grace preachers that have fallen in one of these six areas. And they are no longer preaching grace and right division. Little subtleties. But notice something. Look at Ephesians 4 with me. Just so you see it in the scripture. Verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye. Who's the ye? Well, in, this, in the context, it's the church at Ephesus. It's you and I. It's the church, the body of Christ. What has happened to the church at Ephesus? Henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Look at that. The great church at Ephesus has been impacted that they are no longer walking as who they should be walking as. 
That's why he'll get down there in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Well, where did they learn Christ? From who? From Paul. What did they begin to do? Drift away. So when you come back to Romans 1, the point in all this, I guess, is that Paul longs to see him. He says, verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, that I might have some fruit among you also, even among other Gentiles. The first attack, the first attempt by Satan, and the first reason that Satan hinders Paul is to slow down, is to stop the message and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And to cause the Gentiles to sit back and say, ah, we're going to go follow Moses because Moses wrote more books and that Old Testament's more than Paul has ever written because he hadn't written much yet. <laughs> okay? All right? Then he says, verse 14. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, he's going to introduce a, 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 a trilogy here. I am debtor. I am ready, and I am ashamed. Now, we're going to get into all this next week because we've got like four minutes, okay? But I want you to get verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul is giving us a view into how the world looks at humanity. How do the Jews look at humanity? You're either a Jew or you're a heathen, period. They look along racial lines, don't they? National lines, religious lines, right? What about the Greeks? You're either a Greek or you're a barbarian. A barbarian, uncivilized, doesn't know how to use the, the right fork at the right moment. Because the Greeks are what? Civilized. You know the Greeks called the Romans barbarians? Because they were what? They weren't civilized. So now we're along social lines, aren't we? Cultural lines. Then he says wise and unwise. Well, unwise, so now we're talking about education, aren't we? Educational lines. The wise, they've got all the education. The unwise have no education. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes the wise act like they're unwise, and the unwise act like they're wise, don't they? Just look around us. So you get a viewpoint here, but notice what Paul says, I am what? Debtor. So there's a debtor issue here. Come over, oh man, we got to see this, Galatians 3, just real quick, Galatians 3. I told you I was going to let you out early, I lied to you, I apologize for that, but... We'll get you up next week. Look at Galatians 3. Look at verse 28. Notice how God looks at humanity. You know how God looks at humanity? You're all sinners or you're all equal in Christ because of the cross. We've proved all to be sinners. And then he says you're all equal. 
Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's how he views it. Isn't that interesting? Back in Romans 1, Paul says, he's introducing here three. I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. Now, real quickly, what Paul is doing here is he is setting up the three marks that are going to measure out the edification process. He's revealing here to us what the, the goal of the edification process is. What is it it's designed to be achieved? Now, Paul is not expecting the Romans to achieve this at this moment in, ver- in chapter 1. They're, they're what? Babes. We never expect a baby, a kindergartner, to go drive the school bus. I know a couple that would like to. <laughs> They've told me. Hey, let me drive. I can get that thing done, man. I'm like, I bet you can. Right over it, you know. Okay. He's, so Paul is not expecting the Romans to say, I'm a debtor and I'm ready and I'm not ashamed. Okay. But rather... He's using himself, thus the I am, Paul is, to establish a reflection of what's going to happen when the the rest of the epistles are laid out for you. He's basically saying, guys, here's what this is going to look like at the end. If you walk down through the edification process of Romans to Philemon, you know what's going to happen at the end? You know what you're going to say? I'm a debtor. You're going to say, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. And you're going to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's going to be some internal working. Now, we're going to get into all those next time because time's up. I introduce that to you. By the way, you see these three everywhere. Faith, hope, charity. There they are. Spirit, soul, and body, there they are. It's interesting. You see this three jump all the way through. You see it in Romans a lot, actually. Romans 5, you see it over there in the first five verses. It's fantastic. When we walk through the edification process all the way, Romans to Philemon, we should be able to say, as Paul says here, I am ready, I'm a debtor. By the way, we'll look at that issue. He's not talking about owing no man He's not talking about paying bills. He's talking about a motivation of the love of Christ. It's a motivation. Okay? He talks about, I am ready. I am not ashamed. You see, folks, we ought to be able to stand in Paul's shoes and be able to say this for the next generation to come, that's coming along and to be able to say these three as it impacts ministry. Okay? So we'll jump into those three next time, all right? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that you've given to us, and we'll stand there. In your name we pray, amen. By the way, just